when it comes to the approach to the project, find one thing. Is it even the productivity of a certain department or the efficiency of a line in a manufacturer? Find one thing that you can rally around and begin there. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. What makes this episode so special? Two things. First, we're going to tackle the topic of AI but not just AI, real world AI. And second, I am joined by not one, not two, not three, but four amazing guests. These superwomen of AI will cover AI from multiple angles and use cases. Because I want to dive right into our topic, I'm gonna to do the honors and introduce our guests rather than having them introduce themselves, but you'll get the chance to know them as we go through our conversation today. First is author, speaker, and human capital advisor from USI, Loren Gray Flanagan. Loren is the author of 1001 Watts and the person responsible for bringing this amazing group together. Next is Jana Fuelberth. She is the president of Analytically, a company at the intersection of data-driven businesses and HR. Nayeli Hernandez is a data analyst focused on human capital management for Cardon, owner and operator of senior living facilities throughout the Midwest. And Allison Jacobson is the global marketing director of artificial intelligence and analytics solutions at GE Healthcare. I'd like to welcome you all to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. To get the ball rolling, why don't each of you tell our listeners what brought you here? And Loren, let's start with you and then we'll go around the group. Okay. Well, first of all, Jeff, thank you so much for having us. Um, it really is an honor to be here with all of the rest of uh, my colleagues and discussing artificial intelligence and um, really rethinking the future. In, in this new age of AI. I started with oh, about five years ago, starting in the healthcare industry and data analytics. And I just became, I call myself a data enthusiast. <laughs> I'm not a data scientist. Um, I didn't go to school for that, but I found that I recognized patterns within the data and I was able to then take that, the storytelling piece and engage with my clients in new and different ways. So with USI, I sell insurance and I manage uh, human capital benefits and healthcare for my clients. And I really needed that data. I really needed to understand the patterns that were taking place and the claims data so that I could differentiate myself in the market and help support my clients. So that led me to where I am today, which is a human capital advisor and an AI strategist with USI. Excellent. I love that term, data enthusiast. So, Jenna, how about you? What brings you here? 
Yeah, absolutely. Loren, I love the term data enthusiast as well. I always introduce myself as a data nerd. So uh, <laughs> I, I totally feel you on that one. Um, thanks for asking the question. My data nerddom really focuses on workforce analytics. So my background and career has been spent in labor systems, human capital management systems, and was inspired uh, three and a half years ago to begin building analytically. And what analytically does is it kind of looks at an organization and says, hey, you've got data in your operations, finance, budget, people, labor systems, and you're going to need a better way to synthesize, gain insight, and send that information out. So that's where we focus in, in analytically and why I'm so excited to participate today. Excellent. So we have a data enthusiast and a data nerd. Nayeli, uh, what's your story and what brings you here? Hi, Jeff. Well, I really um, have kind of like a similar story to, to my colleagues. Data has so much value nowadays. Some people refer to data even like the oil of now, right? Because uh, it, you can create a lot of revenue from data. So my focus is on improving processes and also creating business value and connect HR and business objectives. When you take the HR data and you can um, help the organization to meet their goals, that is just invaluable. It's, it's something that is very interesting for me and there's where I thrive. Excellent, thank you, Nayeli. Allison, how about you? Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I agree with everyone. For healthcare in particular, an average hospital system today can use 50 petabytes of data in a day. And we at GE Healthcare, right, are trying to take that data with a lens of global veracity and variety and how we can use that in our artificial intelligence solutions to really what I personally say, um, you know, change the healthcare and the environment for our children and our grandchildren. And I'm so passionate about that and the things that we are doing within healthcare that I like to speak with groups like this to, to really share that information. Thank you. Thank you all. I just love the stories of how you came to love data, love analytics, love AI. I think uh, with your backgrounds and coming together today, we're going to have a really interesting conversation. I think a topic our audience is hungry for are the use cases surrounding AI. We've done some shows on AI in the past, some podcasts in the past, but what I think people really want to hear about are some real business examples of AI making a difference. You all come from varied backgrounds, but Allison, let's start with you. Talk to us about the use cases you are seeing in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. You know, AI is definitely an important component in how GE Healthcare is helping our customers drive more individualized, precise, and effective patient outcomes. We're developing artificial intelligence solutions across multiple radiology modalities to detect and prioritize critical cases. We've currently got about 50 plus applications that are seamlessly embedded 
within our medical devices and are enabling improved workflow, productivity, diagnostics, prioritizations, and much more. You know, but one very specific use case that I'm always excited to talk about is our critical care suite. And it's offered on those portable x-ray devices, the Optima XR240 systems. And what we're doing is we've, we've created this capability to automatically analyze images upon acquisition and to map, you know, potential critical findings like a pneumothorax. And then it produces these triage notifications that are sent directly for a prioritized review within the workflow. So, you know, this is exciting because this could save hours. You know, I don't know if many of you are familiar with a radiologist's typical cue to review x-ray screens, but it could be, you know, in excess of eight hours. And the fact that we could take someone with a potentially life-threatening collapsed lung and instantly raise that to their queue as a prioritized file to read and interact with immediately, you know, that's just one way in today's really stressed environment to, to change the future of healthcare. That's great because we've talked a lot about AI and the need. The AI doesn't necessarily replace the decisions that humans make, but they alert the human, in this case, the radiologist, to the urgency of a decision and kind of filters out some of the noise, so to speak. I think that's an excellent use case. Loren, I know you are passionate about driving employee engagement. Can you talk us through an example of using AI to drive engagement? Sure. Let me just start by saying back in September of 2019, I received my AI strategy certification with or from UC Berkeley School of Information. I did that because I wanted to understand more about the components of engagement strategies and how I can carve a wedge for my clients within the human resources business unit, uh, within the financial business unit, within the marketing business unit. And what I learned and what I found really actually very exciting is that what we need to do is understand that the engagement of our employees is vitally important to pursue such a program that Allison was just talking about. The reason being is that each business unit is going to have their own cases, their own key indicators that they've identified and their strategy um, in terms of the data that they're seeing. But the overarching strategy of the company, that strategy will then align with the business units and will align with those um, employees and those leaders that take on those AI projects so that they can identify which pilots they're going to roll out, which programs is most useful. And the ROI and understanding that ROI that Allison was just talking about really is the potential of those AI projects that you can engage those employees before sinking money into developing it. So really my focus is not necessarily in the implementation of an AI program. My focus is more on the implementation of the AI strategy and aligning the um, employees within every business unit within the company. I love that point, Loren, because I think uh, 
the alignment drives the engagement, right? If your organization is aligned, your team, your employees are going to be far more engaged in that case rather than when things are in misalignment. Exactly. And having those tangible, you know, measurable benchmarks to hold the AI projects accountable and together, I think is a key component. Yeah. Yeah. Nayeli, in your role with Cardon, you have to help juggle a very dynamic workforce in the senior living world. How are you using analytics in workforce management across multiple sites? Yeah, so healthcare is a very dynamic setting because you have different number of residents in each facility. Each facility has a different capacity and we provide different services in different facilities. So the way that we look at it is we want to make sure that we have enough staff to take care of our residents and make sure that we are going to be able to provide a good service. Um, so we look at how many people uh, we or how many residents we have in each facility and also how many hours we think is going to be needed to take care of them. Let's say feed them, help them uh, to take a bath, activities for them, if they need any therapy. So we look at all that data from the different systems that we have, our patient care uh, matrix, our financial system, our HR system, and then we pull all that data together and make sure that we are staff a good capacity to make sure that we can take care of the residents. Now, how real time is that? Are you doing that on a shift basis or within a shift, or is it on a week basis? What what kind of time frame are you working with on those dynamics? We have uh, multiple reports. So one of them is updated daily, and one of them is updated weekly. Um, we are striving to have more real-time data, and that's why AI is so important, because AI gives you the capability to automate processes. So once you can automate the analysis of the data, then you can pull data more frequently, and then that way it can update the report even like in real time. And so, yeah, we do have, as of right now, daily and a weekly report to see how many hours each employee has worked and how many hours we need to take care of the residents. So we are always looking at those two. So every day we get a report out of how many residents we have in each facility and also how many employees we have in each facility. But that's one of my projects to make these reports update faster so managers can use the data in real time and make decisions in real time. Thank you for that clarification. I I appreciate that. Jana analytically works with companies at all points in the analytics journey, so to speak. But I think most Mm -hmm. of our listeners, or at least many of our listeners, will be at those beginning stages, maybe even at the middle stages. For those listeners, can you describe what you are seeing during these uh, particular stages? 
Sure. I always use the the metaphor of a friend of mine, you know, so we're all recording this from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, we have this thing called the Indianapolis 500. And before yes. that, we've got the mini marathon that happens. And I had a friend last year call me who was not a runner, never had trained and say, I'm running the mini and I'm going to do a seven and a half minute mile the entire time. And and uh, kind of had to put myself on mute and chuckle a little bit because I think her excitement around the mini marathon is sometimes the excitement that we see from clients, which is I want to use AI and I want to use predictive analytics and I want to, you know, they're finally signed up and excited and engaged around it. And sometimes it's tough to know where to start. And so a lot of what we do at Analytically is making analytics and in the application of AI approachable, pragmatic. So sometimes at the at the very beginning, it's sometimes data cleanup. It's sometimes making sure that systems can connect. It's aggregating data. But I always tell our customers two things. And one is around AI and the other is around um, kind of their approach to a project. And it kind of builds off of what Loren was saying about alignment. I'll start with the second. When it comes to the approach to the project, find one thing. Is it even the productivity of a certain department or the efficiency of a line in a manufacturer, find one thing that you can rally around and begin there. Because if you can at least show some early success, you proved yourself that the project was successful and that, that we've got kind of these new skills. The other thing that I always like to point out with AI is AI can help you make great decisions when data is curated and cleaned and normalized and, and really pointed at specific use cases. AI also, especially for early users, can, can help broaden the audience of who can receive the value. So think about things like natural language processing, where you can almost, as opposed to writing a SQL query, you can you know Google or search in your data using natural language, like what was my turnover last year? Or where do I have at-risk locations? AI doesn't have to be just at pointed at a specific uh, miraculous one point, but it can also enable new users, myself included, who doesn't know how to write SQL code, be able to use and leverage data in a new way. So we kind of focus on um, accessibility first and then applicability second. I love that because that's an application, if you will, or an outcome of AI that I hadn't considered before that it allows, uh, it unlocks the data. It enables uh, non-data scientists to uh, have access to that data through, as you were describing, natural language processing. I think that's a great point. Loren, in our pre-call, you were describing some of the work you've done for your AI certification, and I know you, you mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago, but you also talk about the AI blueprint and how that is used. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. The AI blueprint really is, when I talked a little bit about the overarching strategy of the organization in general, and then overlaying this blueprint, which is really your AI strategy. So it still looks at the SWOT, it looks at the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And then going back to what Jana was just talking about in terms of the data that's being pulled, there are some companies that say to me, um, they have so much data, they don't know what to do with it. So it is very important to 
just as Janet uh, described, to go through and figure out which data you should clean, which data, where you should even begin, is, I, I think, um, is what Jana was alluding to, is very important. I specifically have been concentrating on the non-data scientists. It's the company culture, and that company culture really is identified by those people and those leaders within each business unit that understand what that overarching strategy is, understand maybe what they need to do in terms of helping their own business unit identify what those key indicators might be, and then aligning that to what the um, what the company structure is and what they what they want to do and what they want to achieve moving forward. So really this blueprint typically just aligns with the company strategy and it helps those team members come together. And that is the employee engagement piece that I um, really enjoy. Excellent. And Jenna, I want to come back to you for a moment because you mentioned this while you were speaking and then Loren uh, also pointed it out. I think there's sometimes there's a challenge that many of our listeners may have this grand vision for what AI is going to do for them. And it may be so grand, it stops them from even getting started. And you mm -hmm. talked about the one thing, find one thing. Could you describe how you help guide organizations to identify where to start? Sure. I mentioned a manufacturer. So when you walk into a manufacturing organization, um, there's always competing interests between quality, productivity, efficiency, employee turnover, training, tenure, I mean, you name it. And uh, we will do just a, a short kind of just stakeholder interview uh, of each like CFO, COO, CHRO to get every single stakeholder's vantage point of what needs, what needs fixed or what's the biggest opportunity where, you know, we could almost exploit data to get new results. And we focus on productivity, efficiency, revenue, margin, and quality, because those five metrics connect directly to an income statement. And every company has an income statement. And there's kind of this aha moment when we work people through our methodology, we're like, wow, I really have been making it maybe a little bit more complex than I need to. <laughs> So that's kind of how we work through it. But I'll just share a quick anecdote. I mean, we're recording this during the time of COVID-19, right? right? And even with employee roster and uh, simple employee demographic information that's typically housed in HCM software solutions, you know, we've been able to help our customers use uh, natural language processing and AI to identify at-risk employment populations quicker than without analytically. So, I mean, it, again, the data scope doesn't need to be ginormous. It's just incredible with the right context, what uh, insights you can gain. Thank you. And Allison, I think in our pre-call, you raised an interesting point that might be a word of encouragement or two for our, our listeners out there wanting to get started. Can you kind of share that story a bit? Goodness, I think you have to refresh my memory, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you were talking about how GE is really only into the two years of, of doing AI. And it sounds like from your description of what you are doing, that maybe you've been doing it for 50 years or something. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, and two years might be a little bit too small, but, you know, GE Healthcare is always um, accumulated data, 
derive value from that data, help to bifurcate the solutions of that data, you know, to its its primary stakeholders, and used analytics as a severe tool to do that. But when it comes to true artificial intelligence and putting that into our devices in a seamless way, that helps the hospital systems number one select, deploy and use AI across the system. You know, that's really where we've begun this journey. And I think the thing we've learned the most is you need an ecosystem to do that and to do it really well, especially within the healthcare industry. We've got data, we've got images that have been taken around the world. But we need to make sure that data and those images are curated correctly, they're annotated correctly. We're accounting for the differences in, say, the way the U.S. takes a chest X-ray versus the way, you know, India or China or a smaller third world country may take X-rays. The newness or oldest of those devices, the, the age of the devices, I should say. There's so many components that come into successfully building and deploying artificial intelligence solutions that I think that's the trick for people. Don't think you have to do it all because you need that ecosystem of experts to really help with scope and scale. So I think that's kind of where I was going with that story. I think that's a great point about having an ecosystem to help drive that because it, it can be so overwhelming as you start to move into this space. Nayeli, you're on the front lines. Your hands are in the data, uh, so to speak, every day. Can you talk to us a little bit about trying to introduce AI into that mix and Uh, what types of things you're doing to learn, to understand, to show uh, business value to your company? Yes, that's an excellent question. So uh, on the front line, you have to decide if your company has the resources to build or to buy, right? If you are a large company that has already a team in place of data scientists and engineers and developers, then probably it's a good idea to build an in-house solution. But most companies don't have that. <laughs> so that's why it's great that you know nowadays we have these companies that can provide a solution where they can connect your data sources and then analyze the data for you. And, um, and then you can just use that tool and ask questions, you know, kind of like, why are my employees leaving? What is correlated to employees leaving voluntarily? Um, what is the probability that this person is going to leave? So on the front line, I think for a small business or for a medium-sized company that doesn't have this kind of department with you know engineers and data scientists, it seems like it's a better solution to just buy a tool mm-hmm. that can just give you the answers. And it's very important, like um, Allison and Jenna mentioned, don't shoot for the moon. Yeah. Start with something that is going to be 
a high leverage business problem because it's also hard sometimes to show the leaders the value the data analytics can bring to the organization. So if you start with a small problem that it has a high impact in the organization and you tackle that, then that is gonna give you momentum to get more resources and then you can start building your department. I like that. That really has been a theme throughout our conversation today of finding something that is small to start with, maybe has a large business impact and use that to drive future value. So given we have all of you here together today, I want to touch on another topic for a minute. Women in tech and business. Loren, if you don't mind, for those who may not have seen it, tell us about the Gates Foundation letter that you discussed with us and its impact that it had on you. It is amazing how just one piece of literature can change your whole perspective. When I uh, was researching for my book, uh, 1001 Watts, I was discussing with women and, and researching and investigating how women around the world are really searching for a new way to connect and to follow their vision and to be guided and nourished. And um, when I came across you know, Melinda Gates, and I read more about the Gates Foundation, I was really um, intrigued by everything that they were doing. Last February, I read their first annual Gates Foundation letter. And at that time, I was just starting to understand, um, you know, data bias and and understand um, the elements around women and men working together and collaborating together and how that collaboration would then be from the human and machine perspective of humans and machines collaborating and working together. And in this, in this letter, she talks a lot about, or they talk a lot about um, data bias and the perspective of why these teams and these different business units need to be inclusive and diverse. And I understood why women need to be in tech and why girls and women in general are being pushed towards STEM programs. I understood it in theory, but I didn't really understand the the real why. Like, why do we need women and girls in tech? What's so important about it? And what this letter did for me is it made me understand that, that we need all sorts of folks within the different departments, women and men of different um, backgrounds and cultures, so that when the data output is coming through and you're starting an AI program, for example, you have data that is not biased. That's excellent. Now, the rest of you may not have had that watershed moment, like reading the Gates Foundation letter, but I would like to hear your perspective on being a woman in tech, being a woman in business. Jan, if you don't mind, I'd love to pick on you next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lauren, I think that's a great context. And there's so much media and buzz and conversation around this. And I think that gender in the workplace is one of many contexts that we have to be mindful of. And I think if if anything, it's allowing us to create this new muscle of 
empathy and trying to sit in someone else's shoes before, you know, we react to something or seeing someone else's viewpoint and, and also the, the valuable asset that they can bring to the table. You know, I think especially, you know, it's been a passion of mine as I've launched analytically. I promised my CTO I wouldn't say this, but I'll say this anyway. I'm a non-technical co-founder. I'm obviously female. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of, huh, she did that? And I think, you know, one of the things that I've been really passionate about is trying to make that a normal thing that someone that is passionate about a subject matter area can surround herself with experts and really smart people and really great partners to help get a vision and an idea to the market. So that's that's where I get really riled up and passionate about um, being a woman in business, being a woman in tech, and you know, going toe to toe when you wanna talk about ETL and data structure and data normalization. Yeah, and I've heard you speak, and you're far more technical than you let on. So just, just nerd. know that. Data nerd. <laughs> Uh, Allison, how about you? What's, what's your perspective on this topic? Yeah, you know, I agree. And it's a very interesting topic. When I got into technology about 22 years ago, I'll call it, um, really didn't see a predominance of women in the tech industry. It was a very male-driven industry, both in the development as well as in the sales and marketing, quite frankly. Then fast forward to about 2010 is really when I got my technical roots was in doing product marketing for virtualization and grid computing, if, if you ladies all remember that. And, you know, that essentially, I will say, became cloud in a very simplistic way of saying that. And then we went on this journey of data science and, and AI. So I am seeing more and more women both entering the workforce to study data science and AI, but I'm also seeing more women in the 30, 40 plus range who are almost reinventing themselves and who are becoming technical as a secondary nature. And it's really exciting to see that. You know, I travel around the world teaching these classes and workshops for women who want to get more involved in STEM type careers and, and how to do it and how to develop their growth. And I think we're going to see a heck of a lot more of it as we move forward. And to, to Jana's point, right, there's a empathy and an emotive context that, believe it or not, helps improve the algorithms and the AI outputs. So I don't think it's something we should discount. And I know it's something we're not going to see go away anytime soon. I hope not. I hope it continues to move in that positive direction. For sure, the numbers have been dismal for years. It's, it's encouraging to hear that there is progress uh, being made. Nayeli, as a woman in tech, what's your experience? What's your perspective on this? I have been very, very blessed with mentors that have shown me and pointed me resources. There are great foundations, great organizations that are in place for people like myself that is getting into this field of data analytics. And it's always good to have that. I think we actually need more. We need more mentorship programs um, of people that have experience. They can 
bring along the new generation because we are only going to need more people. <laughs> this field is like exploding and all the companies are going to start wanting to implement AI strategies, data analytics strategies, because we as a society are producing a lot of data. As a company, if you don't make use of that data, you're going to be in disadvantage. And also, it's very important to bring women into the analytics field and the AI field because AI is only as good as the data that you put in the engine. If we only have men feeding data into our AI engines, that information is going to be biased. If we only have a specific background, like engineers, feeding data to AI is going to be biased. So we need, like, like they say, uh, we need diversity in background, we need diversity in gender, we need diversity in culture, we need diversity in generations, so we can service all the different markets that are available, and we can feed unbiased data to our AI engines. Those are excellent points, and and I want to thank you for bringing in the the age component as the old person on this call. I appreciate that perspective as well. So so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to end with a call to action. So I'd love to summarize. I'm going to summarize what I've heard today as a call to action for those of you in our audience, the listeners that are beginning to take those initial steps into AI, or perhaps you're a little bit further down that road. But I, but I love the theme that wove its way through our conversation today. And that is the one thing. Find one thing, a small item that perhaps has a big or a significant return to investigate and prototype and test this out, test the concepts of AI out on that thing. As you do that, you will learn about AI and, and the ins and outs of it, but you will also have a business case that you can then go to your organizations and lobby for more AI being introduced to that. So if I had advice for our, our listeners, one thing that they should do differently tomorrow is to go find that one thing, spend some time talking with people in the organization and come up with some candidate ideas for that one thing to get started. I have really enjoyed our conversation together today. And I, I know our listeners will agree with me that you four truly are super women of AI. And I don't, I, I'm not using that term lightly by any stretch of the imagination. So I want to thank you so much for your time today to be on the call. Thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, thank you, everyone. And would love to thank have you, you guys back. I would love it at some point down the road as we dig deeper into this topic to have you back for a round two. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Anytime. For our listeners out there, if you want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links. And I think we are linking to the blueprint Loren mentioned. We'll also have contact information for each of our guests today. This is Jeff Tun for Loren, Jana, Nayeli, and Allison. 
Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.